Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Robson Civil Projects. Robson means subdivisions, retirement villages, road, rail and bridges. That's local infrastructure for 60 years. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Saturdays on the Coast on SEM. We do it all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and also McDonald Jones Homes. You can start your brand new home today, your dream home with McDonald Jones. Uh, alongside me, the guru, Gary Birkinshaw, and we've got something special, guru. Right now, we've got Tony Clark and Michael Butner together. They're like the captain and Tony Neil, like uh, Peaches and Herb. Uh, boys, good morning. G'day, boys. How are we? Good morning, Gaz. Good morning, Steve. I don't know about Tony and Tanoil, is he? <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, great to have you both on the line. Butes, uh, firstly, you're up in Coffs Harbour, is that correct? Yeah, but in Coffs Harbour, we've got an international tag series. So over 150 teams competing. I've got 16 Australian teams up here, ranging from the under-18s all the way through to the uh, over-60s. Uh, many of those players in the over-60s playing for the first time uh, for their country, which is a, a huge honour for uh, for them. But um, playing the likes of it's whilst it's an international series, they're all Australian-based players, but they're representing their, their culture or their heritage uh, or their place of birth. Um, as far and wide as Japan, Ecuador, Afghanistan are competing, uh, obviously New Zealand, the Australian Indigenous side. So there's plenty here to, uh, plenty of Oztag action, which is fantastic, and uh, Hopefully the Aussies can dominate over the weekend. Yeah, fantastic. And are you playing yourself? I am having a run around. I'm in the over 40s. Um, I'm just watching at the moment our 50s team play and I'm probably sort of comparing myself as to whether I should make my way up to that age group or not. But uh, (laughs) at this point in time, I'm happy to just hold back that one more year. Oh, good on you, good on you, Butes. I'm sure it'll be a a big week, a big week, a big weekend up there and look, look all the best and... We're heading to the uh, the NRL, getting towards the, the business end of the season with four games to go. And look, I reckon we're probably down to. I reckon there's probably five sides who are trying to looking for those uh, bottom two spots in the eight: the Rabbitohs, the Roosters, Seagulls, Raiders, and probably mathematically the Dragons can still get there, albeit you know, their performance against the top sides certainly doesn't warrant them being in the top eight. How do you see that those last two positions going? Parky, do you want to answer that, or should I go right ahead? There was, Sorry, there was a deadly silence, but I'll go, I'll go yeah, no, first. When they, start, when they start talking mathematically, I know that the St. George Dragons are gone. <laughs> Apologies, lads. Apologies, gents. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think you're spot on, guys. There's still, um, still some great, uh, uh, you know, jockeying for, for those final positions, and I did say a couple of weeks ago, I think this year we will see someone in the bottom half of the top eight make a real dent in the semi-final series. Uh, TC, you sent me a text this week, and I've got to say, you were incredibly fired up. What's got you so hot under the collar this week? Steve, the week has been one of the worst for the NRL, I I believe. I mean, uh, the the, the explanations that that Graham Annesley and Luke Patton put around that that one of the worst tackles I've seen, the Melbourne um, Nelson Solomon, whatever his name is, the big bloke, 
the explanation they put around that was embarrassing. And then we've got the, the, the chairman of the board thinking he's a politician where, as we know, the male participation levels in, in, in New South Wales are at the lowest ever and he's worried about arguing with the Premier about something where we haven't got the money to spend on it anyway. And he, he's just... He's at a civil war with, with uh, the New South Wales Rugby League, wasting millions of dollars on, on legal fees. I just think Rugby League, you know, we'll come up with a new rule this week. I just think Rugby League needs to really reset itself. They need to get some honesty and some integrity around. Okay, so the thing was, you come home from training on Wednesday night where I'm doing the Rise program with, uh, the, the, you know, backed by the NRL. You do, you're doing it um, uh, uh, free of charge. Um, you're teaching under 13 players correct technique in tackling, and all they want to talk about is a hip drop tackle, or they want to talk about a, a you know, three in, hold them up. Boys, no. You know, we have to have a reset in, in where rugby league's heading. And I, I'd love to, you know, you couldn't get a more passionate supporter, but there is people being turned off. And then if the Landis continues on this path, he's on thinking he's, you know, infallible, it, it, it's just driving me nuts. Yeah, TC, I saw some commentary around the Nelson Osofa Solomon tackle. Andrew Johns thought he should get rubbed out for four months. I mean, how in the world they came up with that decision, I will never know. And I think even Graham Annesley tried to distance himself from that decision. We spoke about it last week. Butte, I'd love to get your thoughts because you used to run the match review committee or you're on the match review committee. How did you see it? Uh, look, I spoke to Julian King from SCN earlier this week and um, you know, gave my views on it. Look, clearly it's a case here where they've either overcooked what they're looking at or have just clearly missed something because the, the dangerous contact charge purely and simply involves an unacceptable risk of injury, all right? Wade Egan goes off with a HIA and with two broken teeth of some sort or chipped teeth, all right? There's an injury there already. So there's no unacceptable risk. The actual injury has been sustained, right? He's come down... Osofa Salomona has actually lost his feet in the tackle, right, and come down. This guy's a big man. He's 120 kilos plus, and he's come down hard on Wade Egan. Look, they have well and truly overcooked this and got it horribly wrong. And TC, look, I've been in that situation where you've tried to explain what the match review were looking at, but they were looking at all the wrong things for mine, Right. There was no, there was no need to look at a crusher incident because there was nothing with the crusher. There was no need to look at his left arm because that wasn't an issue. It was all about the right arm, the right arm and the right elbow, and where that was coming down onto his head, which was clear and apparent to everybody. Uh, and it's just meant that you know it's made him. I think it's taken him back a long, long way in terms of the match review committee. And, and you know what, I, I understand where these guys are coming from. I've been in that hot seat. I know all the angles they get. But I just think they've overcooked this one big time. Uh, and it's a real shame because I think uh, our game was heading in the right direction. We've seen a lot of players who have been suspended lately uh, and big suspensions and some of our big-name players who have done that, you know, the likes of Patrick Carrigan and, and obviously Nathan Cleary, uh, which is a real shame we won't be seeing these guys uh, as they head into the finals. We will see them once they get back from it. But, yeah, it's a real concern that, um, again, they try to fix a system which – I'm not sure they've gone about it the right way. Yeah, no, they haven't. And of course, see, we're going again, boys. Sorry, but we're we're going again, Michael, because it was only a week ago or two weeks ago they they finished the end of the the uh, you know robbed the uh, the Tigers up in Townsville. You know, so and Annesley tried to come up with some excuse there. You know, we we just as I said, some 
some honesty and integrity about what they're doing and stop trying to cover everything up. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned TC about the chair of the NRL, Peter Volandis, and the gurus alongside us, Gary Birkinshaw. You actually felt he was way out of line this week. Yeah, I believe he was way out of line, especially reading yesterday and, and today around the the funding of the new stadiums and just the way he made reference to the to the government, you know, giving the money to the flood victims and repairing of the flood damage, and he, he, the way he made it out as if no, the stadium should have preference over that, and I just thought. He's not reading the room very well, Volandis, at the moment. Is that, Yeah, I understand he might have had a handshake agreement with the government to do the stadiums. Yes, we'd love the stadiums to be, to be done up, but I, I also agree with the government on this. Yeah, the, the flood recovery certainly takes a priority over stadiums at this stage. Oh, Gaz, 100%. I mean, like we've been in, you know, unprecedented times, with, with a, of course, with the uh, you know, pandemic. We've got flooding, we've had flood, you know, like, and, and to, for him to be carrying on. But he was even on the, the this is what annoys me, you know, when they have, they've got Bruno Mars opening opening the new stadium, you know, worldwide act, and he was worried about the people he was going to get at Landry, you know, at the Everest stage. Like, mate, please, give us a break. He just needs, you know, if he sends me one, if you see another photo of him in the Royal Carriage at, at, at Royal Ascot, I'll, I'll, I'll give it away. You know, the Blake, the Blake has just got so far ahead of himself, it's not funny. Hey, boys, uh, let's have a look at the weekend's footy. So, Rabbitohs, uh, they played an epic last week, uh, so we're trying to focus on something positive here at long last. Uh, Rabbitohs, they played an epic game against Cronulla. Your thoughts on that, Buttes? Uh, it was a one-point ball game, golden point. Latrell had about three cracks. In the end, it was the Central Coast boy, Nico Hines, who sealed the deal. Rabbitohs against the Warriors. Yeah, look, uh, obviously the Rabbitohs have been in good form in the recent weeks, obviously since Latrell has returned back, and I think it's taken a lot of pressure off Cody Walker. Uh, and you can see he's, and you can see the way he's playing and also the way the team is playing. They've got a lot more confidence about what they're doing. Obviously, you know, you get down to those tight contests, and I think for me what it showed was the Sharks have uh, well and truly prepared to hang into the big games and could see themselves doing some uh, serious time in the final series if they... Uh, continue the way they are. They've got a pretty good run into the uh, into the final series. Uh, in fact, I would suggest probably one of the better runs of any team in the top eight or ten positions on the table. So uh, they could go in with four or five games under their belt uh, or wins under their belt, which would be really important for them and, and give them that confidence they need as they head into the semifinals. As for South, look, I wouldn't be too worried. They had opportunities. They didn't take advantage of it, and that sort of happens when it comes to uh, those field goal attempts. But uh, ultimately, look, I think they'll be way too good for the Warriors uh, and they need to be way too good for the Warriors if they're going to do anything in this final series. Yeah, TC, your thoughts on the Raiders versus the Panthers. So, Guru, you want to touch on that as well? No Nathan Cleary? Yeah, well, no Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai as well. So they've got a brand new halves combination and then they're coming up there against a... A, a storm, uh, sorry, a Raiders side who are really starting to hit some hit some form as they normally do at, at the back end of the year. With Ricky Stewart's got them going, and the um, the Raiders need to win this game. And I reckon the Panthers are there for the taking. And for the last four games, it's going to be very interesting for the Panthers. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely, guys. I think if you're ever going to get the Panthers, um, you know, with Cleary and Luai out, uh, you know, this is a week if the if the Raiders are going to. And I, I think the Raiders have to win if they if they are going to. Well, that goes without saying to make the eight. But if uh, if they you know are going to be contenders and not not pretenders, so uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the game. Actually, I think it'll be a, a cracker. And uh, but then you know, saying that we know that Penrith, um, 
you know, they're on top in the in the New South Wales Cup, the reserve grade competition, so there's certainly some able replacements coming through too. Hey, boys, I'll throw this at both of you, but crunch time, we've got a derby, Sharks versus Dragons tonight, 7.35. Uh, look, for me, no. Look, Sharks are, are in good form. The Dragons have been, you know, disappointing, to say the least, I would suggest. But having said that, I, I had no expectations from them this year, and uh, I didn't think they were going to make the eight, and maybe they've overachieved a little bit to even be in contention still at this point of the season. So for me, I think the Sharks will do pretty comfortably, to be honest. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, boys, uh, I'm off to Bundaberg this weekend, so the NRL creates history, Bulldogs versus Cowboys in Bundy. So exciting with the way the dogs are playing, Steve-O. It'll be, uh, it'll be a good trip, uh, certainly be a, uh, an exciting trip to Bundaberg, and, and you've got to give... You've got to give the dogs a uh, a big chance to uh, to come away with the points. Yeah, and um, any more word? Like uh, we were talking about this the other night, but uh, Mick Potter has done such a superb job. He's a bulldog through and through. I know he spent some time at the Dragons as well, but the way they played since he's taken over has been nothing short of miraculous. Look, I think he's done a great job, Mick Potter, and I think he's uh, outstanding in terms of the. Uh, the way he's gone about, uh, you know, turning that club around because they were in all sorts at the start of the season. And uh, to his credit, he's probably simplified uh, what they needed to do uh, and the players have responded and responded well. Um, I still think they've got some work, the Bulldogs, to do and that clearly is going to be the case. Things aren't going to turn around uh, overnight for them but uh, it'll be interesting to see what 2023 looks like for the Bulldogs. Uh, from a coaching perspective and also from a playing roster perspective because they've actually brought well uh, and there's going to be some quality players coming to the club. Hey, boys. Yeah, definitely, Michael. I think they're certainly on the, the right trajectory, aren't they? And it's great to see them enjoying their footy, you know, and, and full credit to, to Potter for what, he, what he's done there. And, and I don't know, you know, a, a couple of uh, Central Coast stars, juniors coming through, Jack Stringer, the son of, uh, of the great man Paul, and, of course, Zach Montgomery, uh, both who have been in the Roosters programs, just recently signed with the Bulldogs. So they're, uh, they're certainly, um, you know, building well for the future. Hey, boys, uh, West Tigers, they should be going for three in a row this weekend after, like TC said, they were robbed against the Cowboys. Fantastic win by the West Tigers against Brisbane last week at Suncorp. They take on the, and dare I say it, the Diabolical Knights. Yeah, yeah, the West Tigers have been – look, you know what? They've actually been good over the last month. They've been very competitive, taken on the Panthers, got close there. Sure, it was an undermanned or under-strength Panthers side. Uh, the week before, they were competitive and, you know, they got the job done against the Broncos. So, for me, they're actually playing some decent football. Uh, and I think they will be too good for their opposition on this occasion. The Knights, you know, it's been a tough old season. Adam O'Brien, uh, look, uh, I can't imagine what he's going through at the moment trying to work out what it is they need to do. I know they've lost Karen Ponga, but uh, there's a lot more issues than losing uh, your main uh, strike player. Uh, they've yeah. got some serious concerns up there, I believe. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the press conference to see what he's unlearned <laughs> this week. <laughs> and, and what about David Clemmer? Is he off to Parramatta? Uh, no, I, my understanding is that they weren't going to release him. I, I could be wrong, but that was my understanding uh, as of 24 hours ago. But... Uh, and I think it's too late for the loan system to kick into place now. So from that perspective, um, they weren't going to release him. Uh, he obviously had some issues last weekend with one of the trainers and has been stood down this week from the night side, um, which is an indication of a, a club that, you know, there's a whole lot of things going on there that 
you know, going on behind the scenes that probably shouldn't be. Uh, and it's probably a reflection of how they're playing on the field. So your old team, they're desperate for a front row forward because Marty Tapau has also been linked with the Parramatta Reels. Boys, can you stay with us for one more very quick break this morning? You're like uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates, you two. Uh, you're working beautifully. Uh, can you stay with us? Definitely, boys. <laughs> Uh, Tony Clark and uh, Michael Butner joining us for the Rugby League Roundup on this Saturday morning. It's Saturdays on the coast, all thanks to McDonald Jones Homes. And, of course, our major sponsor, we thank Robson Civil Projects. Back in just a moment on SEN. Robson Civil Projects. Robson means subdivisions, retirement villages, road, rail and bridges. That's local infrastructure for 60 years. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Saturdays on the coast on SEN and all thanks to our major partner, Robson Civil Projects, celebrating 60 years in 2022. And also, McDonald Jones Homes, the open line. Uh, start your dream home today with McDonald Jones Homes. Let's go back to uh, the boys. Uh, they're like Millie and Vanilli. Uh, Tony Clark and Michael Butner. Uh, Butes is up in Coffs Harbour for the Oz tag and TC joining us. Where are you this morning, TC? No, just at the beautiful Terrigal Beach, just uh, looking at the nice little metre waves coming in, so I'll be in there very shortly. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, boys, I just want to ask you about the Commonwealth Games because we've all had a lot to do with, I mean, we've been... We've all had a lot to do with the Danica Clark Foundation. TC, of course, you're the patron, along with your wife, Kerry, and, Michael, you're the chair of the Danica Clark Foundation. What about Bradley Woodward from Danica Clark Foundation this week in the Backstroke Events in Birmingham? They've almost been my favourite Commonwealth Games. Packed stadiums absolutely everywhere, great atmosphere. And the Coast Kids, including not just Brad Woodward, but Faith Nathan, doing us proud. Yeah, look, it's been outstanding, the uh, the results. And uh, you know what, I, I look at the results leading up to that. You know, we've had the Olympics last year and the performances there of the Australians. We had the World Championships in athletics. Uh, and it just appears Australia is going through this purple patch, not only in the pool, but also across a whole range of sports. So good to see and uh, great for them in terms of what they've been able to achieve. But, you know, to, to see the local kids and the way they're performing, He's just absolutely phenomenal, Brad Woodward, uh, a bronze and a silver. And, of course, Faith Nathan with her gold medal for the uh, in the women's rugby. What an uh, amazing performance. And uh, so great to see so many coasties performing at that elite level uh, and doing very, very well. It sounds like uh, Butes is in some, some kind of wind tunnel up there in Coffs Harbour. Uh, TC, did you have a tear in the eye watching Brad Woodward in action? Ah. One of the most inspiring young men I know, Steve, you know, because as, as you alluded to with the, you know, Danica's foundation, Brad's been an a, a integral part of that, you know, and uh, never forgotten the help we've given him and, and, and the work that he's put in to get to that level uh, is just truly inspiring. And as I, I couldn't agree with, I just back up everything Michael said then, you know, the, uh, you could, you hope that, that these uh, tournaments go for six months, you know, there's that much um, uh, fun watching it, so... Yeah, really well done to, to everyone involved. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned Matt Dawson with the Kookaburras and also, and, and don't forget, they're going for seven in a row. I mean, what a team they are. And then Nicola Oloschlagers in the uh, high jump. 
a superstar, a medalist from Tokyo. Boys, you like uh, Starsky and Hutch, you two. You, you're so good together. Uh, Mate, what a- oh, I'm thinking Captain and Tennille, Steve. <laughs> I think I said that right from the outset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, and- more, more like uh, Laurel and Hardy, I would have thought. But anyway. <laughs> have you got any uh, – what else has caught your eye in the last week? Oh, there's been plenty to catch uh, our eyes. But, you know, to be honest, like I said earlier, when you're looking at so many sports at the uh, Commonwealth Games and what they've been able to achieve, it's absolutely phenomenal. You know, we're over 150 medals now. And, you know, the, the Australians are just absolutely, you know, performing out of their skin. And, and it's great to see. It's almost become boring. Well, we're going to get another gold medal. We're going to get another gold medal. Here we go again. It's unbelievable. Yeah. What about you, TC? Oh yeah, well I'll just go with sorry, I'll just go with Michael there. That um, exactly, I don't I don't find it boring, but uh, I certainly uh, <laughs> just so excited, um, you know, with with the performance of the Aussies and uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a yeah, as I said, you'll never get bored winning them gold medal. Yeah, sometimes you question the Commonwealth Games, but I've got to say that watching the one hundred meter sprints, the heats of them, and I think they said there were over thirty countries represented in the women's. And in the men's, there were over 40. And so you expect the Jamaicans to be absolutely brilliant. The Aussies have run well as well. Uh, Canadians, Trinidad and Tobago, those kind of nations. Then you've seen, you've seen some athletes that are two or three seconds behind. So they've run 100 in 13 and a half seconds. But then you'll see that they've maybe run a PB. And for me, if you can show up, it doesn't matter how you go. If you can set a PB for your nation... You've got to walk away pretty proud of what you've done, right, Burko? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, uh, Steve. Is that it's about testing yourself and doing better than what you can do on, on a it's on a world stage. This will be the only opportunity a lot of these athletes will have, will get to perform against the elite at the Commonwealth Games. So, so that's been fantastic. The other thing I've really enjoyed about Steve, I mentioned you earlier, was the inclusion of the para athletes just as part of the the able body athletes. Just I reckon they've really added something to to the swimming and then also with the athletes, just athletics, just to have them there as well as opposed to having their own games. I think it's been fantastic. Yeah, we're going to talk more about it, but uh, Ellie Cole. I mean, that was fairly emotional, her final ever appearance. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And swam really, really well as well. I think she might have got silver or, or bronze, I think, and that was won by, I think Jess Grimman might have won that one. So it was a fantastic swim. And, and look, yeah, just the, the support shown to them by everyone in the stands has been brilliant. Yeah, and speaking of participation in the swimming, I think we saw... Kenya was involved in a relay and Uganda was also involved in a relay featuring Australia and you know they're a long way behind but that doesn't matter it's all about the love and participation of sport. I watched the mixed relay last night and I can't remember which country it was but they would have come in say 50 metres behind and when they finished the Australia who won gold they they were there and all the ones still in the pool were actually clapping them as they finished that, that's the actual athletes themselves so so they acknowledge the performance they know what it's like to be an elite athlete to even to just to be at those games is is a fantastic effort yeah boys uh, we've left you two hanging there uh, so good to talk to you both this morning you're like uh, Michael and Jermaine Jackson uh, what a combination you two are <laughs> It's promising a more Hawaii 5 out. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Thelma, Thelma and Louise. <laughs> Great talking to you, boys. Uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend. Good luck, Buttes, uh, representing Australia as well. 
Thanks, boys. Have a great weekend. See you later, boys. Thank you. Tony Clark and Michael Butner, a superb performance by those two this morning. And uh, we're off to a break on Saturdays on the coast. We'll come back in a moment. A cracking lineup. We'll also talk to Nick Montgomery. Six goal thriller on the weekend in the Australia Cup against Sydney FC. We bow out, but uh, what a game. And we're down to 10 men at one stage, Guru. And yeah, I think it was a little tough on Dan Hall. Second yellow gets sent off, but. That's what Nick Montgomery would be proud of, that we found a way back, forced it to extra time, and then go down in penalties. Yeah, Jason Cummings scoring in the 95th minute. You know, that just shows the fight. This is an Australian Cup game on the back of well, about three weeks of pre-season training. So they're up against Sydney FC, and Nick will no doubt tell you that yeah, they've had five weeks of training. That's what you get when you don't make the final. But look, fantastic start for the Mariners. A lot to look forward to. Yeah, Saturdays on the coast, we do it all thanks to McDonald Jones Homes and also our major partner, who we absolutely love, of Robson Civil Projects celebrating their 60th anniversary. By the way, if you'd like to work for Robson Civil Projects, make sure you jump on their website and take a look at the employee portal and you could be part of a third-generation family business. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil Projects. Robson means subdivisions, retirement villages, road, rail and bridges. That's local infrastructure for 60 years. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN and it's all thanks to Robson Civil Projects celebrating their 60th anniversary. Congratulations to the entire team at Robson's. What a place to work too. If you ever take a look at their social media pages, Guru, Every week, it seems like someone's celebrating a milestone at Robson Civil Projects. Yeah, look, they do it so well. I know a couple of people who actually work there, and you know, they're well renowned in, in in their field. Great supporters of local events, and really a strong part of the community. And for sixty years in business, that's a fantastic effort. Yeah, and not just here on the Central Coast, but Sydney, also Newcastle, right through the Hunter Valley, and also out at Dubbo now, which is run by a great mate of ours. Gregory Ferguson, who's out there running point in Western New South Wales. Hey, let's talk some swimming now on the show. And also thanks as well to McDonald Jones Homes. You can start your dream home today with McDonald Jones. Let's go to an absolute legend. In fact, it could be our first standing ovation of the morning. Uh, Coming to you live from the man cave. Let's go to Graham Carroll, the master swimming coach. Good morning, mate. Good morning, mate. Sounds like I'm going to have to have my party up there. (laughs) Graham, what a week of swimming that we've seen, and there's been so many incredible performances, but we've got to say our own homegrown superstar, Brad Woodward, in the backstroke events. Yeah, What a meet for him, because in some of these races, he actually didn't qualify, and it's because the young man was sent home from the games that Woody got a start. And he initially wins bronze in the 100 backstroke. What were your thoughts? Well, I, I, I was a standing ovation for him without a doubt. Initially not even selected on the team uh, to swim that race, but then got the, the start. He's taken it with both hands and he's jumped into a medal. So, And I've never seen him look so good in the water when I watched him race in that heat. I thought, my God, this guy's on fire. Um, he could do anything in this meet. And then he gets elevated into his pet event, the 200 backstroke, and, and then he's getting a relay starter as well. So, yeah, we've seen the result from his relay swims. He's just on fire. Yeah, the great thing about Woody is, you know, he's had a few setbacks over the years. So, I mean, he's only 23 years of age, or he might have turned yeah. 24. Uh, he grew up with my son, Corey, and they played in some rep water polo teams. But he's had some shoulder problems. 
He had to relocate to Sydney. He's had to juggle those commitments with living away from home, uh, doing university as well. And it just looks like he's got the preparation absolutely right with his coach. It's Adam Cable, is that correct? Yes, Adam Cable down there at the uh, New South Wales Swimming Hub at um, at SOPAC, based out of SOPAC, the Homebush site. So, you know, he's obviously done the right work this time. And if you remember at the last Commonwealth Games, where he was just a medalist, uh, now he's stepped up like the 200 backstroke the other day. He almost wins it, Yeah, you know, hundredth of a second. If you look at his start, He's a little bit slow on the start, but he's back 25 metres in that last lap. We were all cheering for him to try and get to that wall. Yeah, it was a thrilling race, wasn't it? 0.01 seconds. I mean, it's less than a fingernail. And the great thing about Woody, he sets a PB in the 50 metres backstroke, sets a PB, so he goes 156 in the 200. And like he said post-swim with Kate Campbell, that's the first time he's set a PB in the 200 in four years. Wow, that's that's amazing. You know, you, you I don't follow every swimmer that's going around, but with Bradley because he is from the local area, you tend to follow what your local athletes are doing, and and just watching him progress from the Commonwealth Games to the Australian Trials, missing out in the World Championship team, and then stepping up into this, his progression from previous carnivals, and like you said, he's only 24. He's a dual international in pool swimming, pool rescue, surf life saving, and swimming. Um, he's going to be there for another four years. He's probably looking at 2032. Brisbane. Graham, I've got to say this, and Guru, I'm sure you'll agree, I'm glad in our lifetime that we've seen a swimmer like Ariane Tipnis. The other night I was watching her in the 4x200 freestyle relay, and I was just shaking my head. I mean, we've had Katie Ledecky come along, and now we've seen a swimmer. And this is a young lady who is smashing down barriers. Her time in the 200 is phenomenal, and she's... In a lot of ways, she's getting close to some of the men that are pushing for a final spot in the 200, Graham. Well, look at that last leg in the relay. We were behind the world record line. She jumps in and goes 152. Now, back in 1978, in my era, that wins the 200 freestyle at the Commonwealth Games in the men's division. So 30, 40 years later, here's a girl doing the same time, but she would win a lot of nations, national championships, Um the worst would be there as men. So she's phenomenal. But, you know, you've got to watch out for that Molly Callahan. She stepped up in that individual 200 freestyle and pushed through and almost knocked her off. And then you take that relay team, you throw in Emma McKeon, who's also a 152 200 freestyler. We've got another world record ready to go when she steps into the pool to do the race. Yeah, look, the relay's been fantastic, but I suppose it'd be remiss if we didn't speak about Emma McKeon. 13 gold medals, 19 overall. Probably tonight she probably breaks the, the record overall for the most medals at Commonwealth Games. So she's just fantastic. And what impresses me is no matter what meet she swims at, she always seems to perform. Well, you know, it comes back to her training. Uh, she's been swimming since she was, like, born, you know, with parents that were ex-swimmers. <laughs> um, so she's, she knows how to get in there and, and get onto the race. And then you look at her body shape. She's built for getting through the water cleanly. She's a, she's a Ferrari of swimming right now. She knows how to put the engine together and get in there and do it. Yes, she got beaten into a couple of places in some races, but she's had nine races. And then you throw on top of that, heats, semifinals, finals, that's 18 races if she's done all of them, plus relays. The girl is phenomenal. She's going to be around till 2032, hopefully, in relays. Um, but definitely she wants to go to Paris. And, you know, her, her life is up there in bright, light, shiny and when we look back in history, we saw the Lisa Curries come through. We saw Kate Campbell come through. This girl is far and away so many chairs 
in the grandstand away from everybody else is phenomenal. Hey, Graham, did you swim with her mum and dad? I swam with both of them down at the ALS when we trained at the ALS, yes, absolutely. And um, uh, both, the mother was uh, a butterflyer, Ronnie McKeon, obviously a Commonwealth Games um, gold medalist in 200 freestyle, 400 freestyle. And, um, yeah, a great family. I don't really want to give this too much airtime, but what are your thoughts, boys, Guru and Graham, about every time they seem to get out of the pool, they're being asked about this love triangle, uh, you know, and poor Kyle Chalmers the other night. He pretty much said, I want to walk away from this. You haven't asked me a single question about the race we just won or the race we medalled in. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there must be some director back in the truck asking the poolside uh, announcer, which is usually Kay Campbell, to kind of go down this path about, you know, Cody Simpson and Kyle Chalmers. What are your thoughts? I'm actually really annoyed by it all. Like, every... Every time you turn the page in the paper, it's Kyle Chalmers in the love triangle. Like, Kyle's an absolute fabulous bloke. He went out with Emma. Yes, good on him. Get over it. He, she's going out with Cody. Good on her. Get over it. So what? No one really gives a rats in the swimming world. It's just the media want to follow it up and try and create this aura about this love triangle. If you go back years ago, you had uh, Mitch Larkin and, uh, and he's, I can't remember the girl's name now. Emma Seabomb. Um, Emma bomb. There was a love triangle there. Right? What is wrong with media wanting to destroy people's focus on a carnival? Uh, I'm, I'm annoyed by it. I think it shouldn't have happened. And what Kyle did up the other day and said, you know what, I'm not talking to you anymore. Good on him. Step back. Just put his finger up to his mouth and say, shush, I'm doing my races. Leave me alone. And uh, he'll get on with it. Hey, I said earlier in the show that Birmingham looks like they're almost my favourite Commonwealth Games. I know we love games that are held, you know, in Melbourne on the Gold Coast. But every stand is full, every sporting event, the atmosphere just looks incredible and they've really embraced these games. What are your thoughts? Oh, I'm actually I'm, I'm thrilled by it all. I, I actually sat at home and, and the other day and I watched the wheelchair basketball, the three-on-three, and I was actually enthralled by it. I thought it was a fantastic opportunity for people in wheelchairs, multi-class athletes to get up there and do that event. And I've never seen that before. And I think it is the first time at a Games in, in the wheelchair sports. So that was thrilling. Um, the athletics, that was unbelievable. The girl who was doing the pole vault, who goes over the required world um, Australian record uh, to win the event, one extra 10 centimetres because she felt she could do it. Let's finish with what are the highlights for you? What's been the best swim in your opinion? And I know there's been a couple of world records, but also no one's got a prouder record of coaching athletes with a disability than you have in your illustrious career. Thank you. Would, would you like to say a few words about Ellie Cole or maybe another of the swimmers with a disability? Oh, look, all, all of them have stepped up. It's the biggest Paralympic swimming team out of Commonwealth Games ever. And it's not just when I went in 2010, we had six athletes. Um, this time you've got, I think it's 29 athletes in, in across the board disabilities. Um, Katja Dedekin winning the 50 freestyle and breaking the world record, a phenomenal swim to go 26 seconds when you can't see where you're swimming. Um, Ellie Cole, yeah, it was her third Olympic, uh, Paralympics, but, you know, she finished out of a place, but she showed the resilience of an athlete with a disability to keep hanging in there. Matt Levy gets up and wins the 50 freestyle in his final event. He's been to four or five Commonwealth Games. Then you've got uh, Blake Cochran, um, Hans, the, the butterfly boy. There's, there's a, a number of athletes that you could mention in the swimming world, and all of them have done a great job. Well, what a pleasure to have you on the show, mate. Any news coming out of Peninsula Leisure Centre or the Central Coast in swimming? 
Well, next year, funny enough, next week we've got the state championships, so you'll have a host of swimmers from not only the Woi Woi uh, Swimming Club, but Mingara will have a number of swimmers in KPD and Gosford Swim Centres, all have good athletes. But later on in the year, in uh, in October, we've got the very first Australian country um, winter short course championships, and the Central Coast Academy of Sport is taking 10 athletes up for that. So that's a brand-new event, never been held before, and we'll have 10 uh, athletes from the Central Coast going up and competing that as members of the Central Coast Academy of Sport. Yeah, I've got to say, mate, superb job. And we did say off the air that surely it's time for you to head to Crescent Head and just ride off on a Malibu into the sunset. Well, I've got holidays booked in uh, September. <laughs> I've got the uh, 10 days up there with the Australian old male titles with the old blokes get up there and ride those old wooden sticks. <laughs> Oh, awesome, mate. Great to talk to you. Uh, congratulations on everything you've done and continue to do in swimming, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Legendary swimming coach Graham Carroll joining us this morning. Uh, he's been a great mate as well. He was sensational in surf life saving, part of the freshwater surf teams that won the national titles. Uh, Graham Carroll, pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, we do it all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and McDonald Jones Homes. Off to a break. And coming up soon on the show, we'll talk to Ian Moose-Rebilliard. A lot has happened this week, Guru, in basketball that we want to step through. Yeah, look, it's uh, probably a sad time in basketball in the NBA with uh, a Boston Celton legend, Bill Russell, passing away, age 88, 11 titles, but really huge on, on social justice um, and what he, what he had to overcome through basketball. And he used his standing in the game to promote um, the social justice of, of African-Americans. Yep, we'll take a look at that in a few moments. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil Projects. Robson means subdivisions, retirement villages, road, rail and bridges. That's local infrastructure for 60 years. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Saturdays on the Coast on SEM. We're coming to you live from the Man Cave on this Saturday. Myself and alongside me, the guru, the world's best administrator, Gary Birkinshaw. And speaking of, in fact, if there was a world's best administrator, you'd be in a photo finish with this next guy who's joining us, the great Larry Thompson, OAM. Larry, good morning, mate. Good morning, good morning. Hey, uh, you want to talk about local rugby. I want to start on the Rugby Sevens at the Commonwealth Games. Larry, I've probably watched more Rugby Sevens along with the swimming and the athletics than any other sport, mainly because Faith Nathan grew up, uh, went to the same school as my kids at Berkeley Vale and also the entrance campus. And the Nathan family, absolutely outstanding across numerous sports, but Faith has done so well. And in that semi-final against New Zealand, she made a crunching tackle, won the ball at the breakdown, and Australia go through to the grand final. The rest is history. Faith scores two tries in the big one. You must have been incredibly proud, Larry, watching Faith Nathan, her cousin in the team as well, Soraya Packey, and Australia creating history, winning gold. Yeah, it was a wonderful effort. Just amazing, to be honest. I mean, obviously, Fiji and the, the Silver Ferns and New Zealand female yeah, maybe considered even favourites, I'm not sure. But, yeah, she did very, very well and had a great semi-final and final and was a very important factor in the, in, in the girls winning that game, winning the gold medal. So it was a great effort. Yeah, and particularly when you consider after Tokyo, they had a fairly disappointing campaign by their lofty standards. But in the last couple of months, or the last 12 months, they've bounced back emphatically. And I'll tell you who was a superstar, as always, Charlotte Kaslick. 
Yeah, she's an outstanding sports lady, and um, yeah, they, they had a, they've had a very good year during the, the, the rugby seven series. Uh, they've won a couple of them, and they've been very competitive. So they've, they've been the form team leading into this Commonwealth game. So it really is justice that they win the gold medal. But it wasn't easy. I mean, <laughs> it was a neck and neck game in the semi final against the against the New Zealand team, but they obviously won the final quite convincing, which was a quite a marvellous win because Fiji actually beat them in the round game. So to come back and win quite Easily, really, for a grand, for a final, which will wonder worth it. Yeah, it, it was a very good advertisement for women's rugby. Guru? Yeah, yeah Larry, onto the 15s. The rugby championships kick off tonight. Australia taking on Argentina, obviously coached by Michael Checker. What are we expecting from Australia in these championships? And I suppose given the fact that New Zealand's result against Ireland, does, do you think that that will bring New Zealand back to the field a bit? Yeah, I think it will. I think uh, the Wallabies will go quite well. against. They only played New Zealand. They only played the All Blacks twice this year. They played them once in Melbourne and once in New Zealand. So there's only a, a two-test series. So for, for, for the Wallabies to win the Bledisloe, they've got to win both games. But the game tonight, I mean, it'll be tough. I mean, I actually toured as a, as a, as a supporter in 1997 when Rob McQueen was coaching the team, went over there. But the, the, the Argentinian crowd is just so vocal and, and uh, they'll get very little support over there. There'll be very few Aussie supporters going over there. Uh, it's a long way to uh, cross the other side of um, South America. So, um, yeah... I, It'll be a tough game. I mean, I can remember when Rob McQueen had a really good team and went over there and he drew one test and lost a test in the two-test series. So they'll be tough. And Argentina proved it last year when they were out here. Argentina played all their games in Australia and they still drew with Australia and beat Australia. So they'll be tough, uh, very experienced. They have a lot of players coming back from the French competition. So they're very experienced now. Uh, but hopefully the Wallabies. I mean, hopefully Quade Cooper is back in the team apparently. And... Um, he can direct the backs. We can just get some decent, decent ball, get 50% of the ball. I think our backs can win the game. Uh, Larry, uh, we got a couple of blockbusters in local rugby. I know it would have been frustrating over the last couple of months, but, wow, it doesn't get much better than this weekend. Yeah, just last weekend and this weekend, hopefully. I mean, look, the weather's been good, so um, hopefully we go ahead. We will go ahead, of course. But, um, yeah, it's a blockbuster. Really, today um, we've got the, the top six teams – are playing um, against each other, obviously not in that one day, but uh, we have a top five and the six teams playing are the six teams fighting for that top five. And it's so close. I mean, Carrion two weeks ago led the competition. They're playing tomorrow, tonight, today, sorry. They're playing today against uh, the Lakes. And if they win, if they lose, sorry, they can drop back to six spot. That's how close this top six is. It's probably one of the best competitions we've had for a long time. So the games this afternoon are very, very important uh, right through, um, heading off with the Terrigal Razorbacks. There is a little bit of a problem today because there are some rep trials on for the seniors and we've got quite a few players involved in uh, New South Wales country rep trials. They have to play in that. So all the teams are affected by that, so it'll work out even. So, But the, the game at the Haven will be a beauty between Terrigal and the Razorbacks. Yeah, Larry, uh, great to have you on the show as always. Uh, take care, my friend. We'll talk soon as we reach a climax in Central Coast Rugby. Yeah, we've got four, four Saturdays to go. After today, we've got three more Saturdays and we're into the finals, so it's getting very close. Larry Thompson, one of the best in the business, uh, OAM. So he's received uh, Queen's Birthday Honours for his services to rugby. Off to another break. All thanks to Robson Civil Projects and McDonald Jones Homes. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. 
Robson Civil Projects. Robson means subdivisions, retirement villages, road, rail and bridges. That's local infrastructure for 60 years. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. I hope you're enjoying the show. hope you're enjoying the weekend. And we do it all thanks to our great mates at Robson Civil Projects, a third-generation business, a legendary business on the Central Coast, but also Sydney, right through the Hunter Valley and out in country New South Wales as well in Dubbo. And thanks, as always, to McDonald Jones Homes. And on the McDonald Jones Homes open line, Mariners head coach Nick Montgomery. Good morning, mate. Morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're well. Uh, congratulations and maybe commiserations as well on just a stellar performance by your side in the Australia Cup last weekend. Six-goal thriller, penalty shootout. We're down to 10 men at one stage, but you must have been so proud of your men. Yeah, super proud of the performance. Obviously, a really young team. We're only two and a half weeks into pre-season, so look, the game was always coming at a time where we didn't have much time to prepare. Uh, obviously, Sydney didn't make finals last season, so I think they had double uh, double preparation time than we had. I think they were back for around five weeks. But look, I thought we went there. We took the game to them, went 1-0 up. And look, you know, a couple of mistakes, four, four, four goals against. But I thought, great fight back, uh, back into the game. 3-3, three, three, 10 men for 60, for 60 minutes of the game. Um, and, and at one point we had uh, two men less because uh, young Nectar Triantis had cramped up with user subs. Um, but yeah, look, we saw the game out and look, penalties are penalties. The best players in the world have missed penalties. And unfortunately on the night, yeah, we missed uh, we missed three penalties. So we didn't deserve to progress through. But saying that, so many positives to take from the game. And, and again, signs from some of the new players that have only had a, a couple of weeks to bed in. So yeah, really, really happy with the performance. Shame we're not through to the next round, but yeah, now we look forward to a big preseason and get ready for the early. Yeah, Nick Gary Birkinshaw here. Well done on, on the performance last weekend. Just at those new players you had in the side, who actually really impressed you on the night? Oh, look, they all they all really impressed me when you when you put a new team together. Obviously, we sold players in the off season. Uh, we released a few and 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 not a couple. Obviously, we lost Marcos. He went back for family reasons to Costa Rica, and we were never going to stand in his way for that. And um, yeah, look, you know, obviously the new boys that came in. I thought Yaron Soda again had to step in as number one after Mark Birigetti moved on. I thought he he was solid. Um, and then yeah, look, all the boys next to Triantis, you know, 18-year-old, probably his first real game in professional football, starting the game. Tommy Aquilina coming into a new playing style. Um, and look, obviously Paul Youngo had only been training with us for just over a week. So yeah, in terms of the boys settling in. I was super impressed with all of them and their application. And the boys coming off the bench as well. Jason had a bit of a sore shin in the week, but look, I needed him off the bench to score a goal, and that's what he does. And he did that in the last minute. Took the game to injury time, and and yeah, then we threw on a couple of MPL boys as well in Brad Tappen and Maxim Kisalovic. So when you look back on the game, I don't think there's probably been a younger team in A-League history that's that's been out there on the field. Um, but you know, we are bringing reinforcements in and there's, there's new players to come in as well. So, yeah, just, just really happy with where we're at at the minute. Yeah, Paulie Yongo was pivotal in the second goal and that was a, a goal for Michael Roos, who's a new player at the Central Coast. Benny Ancololo, if you missed it, he scored the opening goal for the Central Coast Mariners. So we led 1-0. And then 
Uh, I mean, it looked like all hope was forlorn and Jason Cummings finds the back of the net pretty much in the final moment of the game to send it to extra time. I just want to get your thoughts, though, Nick, on the Dan Hall two yellows. What, what was your opinion on, I mean, Max Burgess brought down in the box, just looked a little clumsy, but how did you see it all? Yeah, look, Dan's been out for nine weeks, so if, you, if anyone remembers, Dan missed the last couple of weeks of the A-League season. You know, the whole off-season, he was doing rehab on his knee. So, look, you know, he'd only been training a couple of weeks. A little bit rusty in, in terms of decision-making. But, look, he should have, you know, the goal was avoidable. He should have blocked him before he made the forward run. But, look, once he got in there, uh, he just got caught wrong side of him. And, you know, obviously, Yaram was coming out. So, I think it was avoidable. He didn't need to clip him from behind. But, look, to give the penalty and a yellow card, I thought was harsh. You know, the penalty is harsh enough for, for a, a genuine, you know, um, uh, misjudgment there's no malice in it whatsoever and again the second yellow you know Lafond is running away from goal smart player he's conned the referee he's obviously got in front of Dan thrown himself on the floor and again no malice in it it was just two players running towards the ball and yeah to give him two yellows and send him off was was harsh um, especially when Ryan Grant does a two-footed tackle on Paul Ayongo, uh, you know later on, in the, later on in the second half and just gets a yellow card so again Disappointing in, in in some of the decisions from the referee. I thought Max Burgess's was a clear handball for the third goal. Clear handball that everybody saw, apart from the referee and linesman. And yeah, again, a couple of disappointing things. But again, the fight back from the boys, the goals that we scored. I thought Benny's goal was absolutely superb. And and look, Dan will learn from that. And 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 yeah, look, two two weeks into preseason, can't expect miracles. But I thought everything the boys gave was a clear sign of what's to be this year. And that's. A good team, a young team, youthful, that are going to score goals and going to fight against everybody. So, yeah, really pleased, apart from missing penalties. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about the Max Burgess goal because there's no VAR in the Australia Cup, as we know. Uh, Nick, uh, I think we can all celebrate Andrew Redmayne with the Socceroos with his theatrics, but when he's up against the Mariners, uh, not very happy at all watching him bounce around on the goal line. But he's done it again. He's done it again, Redders. Yeah, look, we we did penalties the day before, and honestly, Jacob Farrell put his in the top corner, so did Stormy. But <laughs> so obviously, a lot a lot of press about the wiggles and and Redmayne's wiggle. And to be fair to him, you know, people might not like it, but you know, men- mentally, he's he's obviously put put people off in big games. And I think maybe the boys have been watching too much and thinking too much instead of just slotting it in the goal. But again, easier said than done. It's a big moment, big pressure moment, and best players in the world have missed penalties. So we're not going to judge anybody on the night. You need a bit of luck, and, and yeah, we just uh, we didn't have it in the penalty shootout. So credit to Sydney for for beating us on penalties, and and yeah, they're progressing. We we, we focus on preseason now. Yeah, I thought uh, you know I thought it could have got ugly when he ran right in front of Jason Cummings. I think Cummings did extremely well to contain himself. Yeah, look, Jace is a you know Jace scored a great head in the last minute against him, and look again a little bit of mind games, and to be honest, and again, Jace is played at, uh, at the highest level and he was confident in taking the first penalty and, and again you know we expect Jason to score because that's what he is he's a goal scorer but he's a great save to be honest from from Redder's great save and yeah it's a little bit of mind games and and uh, yeah Jason's a good guy he's a big boy he took it on the chin and, and yeah no doubt this season mate when he scores against him he'll have some more <laughs> Nick obviously the Australian Cup's now gone what's the preparation now in the lead up to the A-League season yeah, look, to be honest, and, and you know, I say this in, in all in all truth, the cup is actually quite a hindrance when you're trying to plan pre-season because you can't really plan games. 
you don't know if you're going to be in the cup. You don't know when the games are going to be. So, you know, for every A-League team, it is actually quite difficult to plan a pre-season around it. So, look, you know, now we don't have that distraction. Obviously, we wanted to win the game. You know, we gave everything and, and missed out on penalties. But, look, now we've got a clear run. We can look at playing pre-season games, going on a couple of trips and, and really, you know, really getting the boys ready for the A-League, which is obviously the most important thing. So, um, yeah, we'll be playing lots of games. We'll have a couple of trips and... And yeah, just just getting the boys up to speed, ready for ready for a big season in the in the competition. Hey Nick, last weekend Michael Butner and myself we spoke to Richard Peel, the new chair of the Central Coast Mariners, and we were uh, thoroughly impressed by his vision for the Mariners. How are you finding it working with Richard? Yeah, he's a good guy. He obviously come in and you know he's an active chairman. Obviously, Mike Charles was still involved. Doing Mike's a great guy and kept the club afloat. You know, a lot of a lot of respect for Mike Charles. Um, but you know, obviously Richard's come in, he's on the ground, he's passionate about football, he wants to help out and obviously his background is health and fitness. So, we're, you know, we're really getting more resources in that, which is good. You know, we did lack that, you know, compared to other early clubs, but he's come in and, you know, in terms of the recovery and the GPS system, he's, he's really helped out, helped out there. And look, yeah, he's, he's, he's passionate, he wants to get fans in the stadium and, and, and make the game a really entertaining uh, uh, day out on the Central Coast. And I think, you know, we proved last year against the Jets, 11, 12,000 in the stadium. It's the best stadium in the in the country and one of the best in the world, in my opinion. So, you know, we all, we're all in it together. And, yeah, we want to want to be, you know, want to be an exciting team this year, a very young team, and, and also get people in the stadium and, and get everyone back back in the stadium post-COVID and supporting the club, which is what we really need. Hey, Nick, speaking of health and fitness, you've got BJ back at the club. Now, sometimes these guys are the unsung heroes, but Bryce Johnson, loved by everyone, uh, for, formerly involved in surf lifesaving as well, and he's he's come home after being at the Jets. Yeah, look, Bryce is a top guy, and, and, and yeah, look, I made a couple of changes in the staff at the end of the season. Some some moved on for for other reasons like players and and yeah look my fault sole focus was to get the best possible staff I could get in, um you know and that included obviously Bryce local guy I know him as a player I worked under Bryce so I know how how good he is and and, and yeah look to bring him in was was a big opportunity for us and yeah he's he's really uh, you know he's back where he's comfortable and and, and he belongs and I think he's uh, he's been a great addition to the staff and 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 yeah he's he's going well. Hey, Nick, I, I know you've got a busy schedule, so just one more question this morning uh, from me anyway. Uh, it's showtime this weekend. The EPL is back on. Have you had a look at some of the fixtures and what has caught your eye? Ah, it's the first, first uh, again, the first weekend of the season, so I think every game is going to be exciting. There's been a lot of signings in the off-season. Yeah, it's going, to, it's going to be interesting. Liverpool already beating Man City in the charity shield. So, yeah, obviously we know Liverpool, Man City are going to be super strong and and yeah, look, I think Man United this year, you know, under Eric Ten Hag, I think they can really improve. Um, I'm obviously good friends with Harry Maguire. And, and, and yeah, speaking to Harry in the off-season, when he was over in Australia, he's really, you know, really enthusiastic and thinks this year Man United can, you know, really improve on probably the past two seasons. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, and yeah, it's, it's the Premier League. It's the best league in the world. So, yeah, I can't wait for it. Uh, Nick, Thanks again, mate, for joining us. Thank you for being so generous with your time, and we'll talk to you again soon. Anytime. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Nick Montgomery, head coach with the Central Coast Mariners, and what a cracking start to the Australia Cup. Like, I know we bow out, but it's a a typical Mariners performance where down to 10 men, backs against the wall, and they find a way to push Sydney FC all the way. Yeah, look, it's quite interesting that the Australia Cup, the, the 
suppose the timing of it more than anything else. I'm not sure there's many other elite codes that you're virtually only just starting a pre-season yet you're you're playing in a in a, a proper competition fixture against another A League side. So yeah, no, well done. Might have bowed out, but yeah, you know, certainly did themselves proud. Yeah. Uh, we're back in a moment. We'll talk some track and field, and there's been plenty of highlights so far at the Commonwealth Games. For me, the women's marathon was absolutely sensational, and Jess Stenson, what a performance. Her first ever gold, she'd won a couple of minor medals. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments' time with uh, the first lady of track and field on the Central Coast. Margaret Beardsley is coming up next on Saturdays on the Coast. Robson Civil Projects. Robson means subdivisions, retirement villages, road, rail and bridges. That's local infrastructure for 60 years. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN and we do it all thanks to our naming rights partner, Robson Civil Projects and also McDonald Jones Homes and a legend on the McDonald Jones Homes open line right now, Margaret Beardsley, first lady of track and field on the Central Coast. Uh, welcome, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's a, a bit uh, a bit overwhelming to think of uh, myself in any uh, of that regard. While this incredible international field is uh, shining in front of us on the telly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've had the World Championships in Oregon, but last weekend we were texting each other. During the marathon, I was hoping you'd be up and you'd uh, you'd join me in some banter back and forth. And the women's marathon is one of the greatest marathon races I think I've ever seen. And maybe because of the fact there were so many women over 30 and over 40, a lot of them were mothers. And then we saw the grit and determination from Jess Stenson. And then we find out the backstory about she didn't qualify for Tokyo, the hard work she's done to come back and, and set a PB, and then goes through COVID, her son's out there on the course. I mean, it doesn't get much better in terms of theatre, and she wins her first gold medal. Absolutely. And look, marathon stories are, are marathons in themselves. You know, nobody nobody gets there with, without a without a battle. And, uh, you know, the, um, the, the camaraderie between those three ladies at the end was, was probably just as overwhelming as watching the race because, uh, I mean, that, that was a totally gutsy run. I mean, we're a bit, uh, in awe of the, uh, the, the African runners and, you know, she just took them on head to head. She just jumped in front of them and socked it to them. And I was holding my breath. I, I was saying to my husband, Oh, you know that's uh, it's a, that's a big ask leading leading these guns, and uh, you know she had no fear and she wanted to be there. And boy, oh boy, did she! Uh, you know she really made it made it work and had a fantastic time and a fantastic effort. Yeah, I think tactically as well. When they hit those those hills, that's where she really made her move, and she pretty much smoked them. But you said about the other runners, so. Eloise Wellings, is that her fifth Commonwealth Games? I mean, what a legend of the sport. And at one stage, it looked like she was absolutely out, that she had nothing left. But, you know, she found some intestinal fortitude and fights her way to the finish. And Sinead Diver as well. And I agree with you. I had tears when those three embraced after the race. 
Look, I think Eloise is probably one of the most underperformed uh, or recognised women runners of, of this last couple of uh, decades. I know she's faced an awful lot of uh, injury time and, and just challenges. And you talk about, as I said, marathoners getting to the line. I competed against Eloise probably when she was about 14 and she was a stunner. She was such a good runner and you just you just knew that she was going to go somewhere with it and uh, and she had has, but she uh, she just had so many setbacks along the way. There's just nothing nicer than seeing that success story with somebody that you know she loved. She loves what she does. She she's always loved being a runner, and uh, you know to to see her on that world stage. And I don't know if you caught the uh, the end story there when. Uh, Jess was saying that if, you know, she was paying respect to Eloise because uh, she her, um, Jess's uh, gel, which is the energy nutrition, mm-hmm. uh, w- was missing on one of the stands. And El- Eloise said, look, you know, you've got the goods today, you take mine. Yeah, that that and, is it. I did hear that story, and you know that and, that that gives me that puts tears in my eyes because you know you've got somebody that you know maybe she's going to get an advantage by not letting her have it, and you know I can make myself a little bit better on it. But to fully get behind your teammate there, that's that's fantastic. just unbelievable. Yeah, when I heard that, uh, and also Jess Stenson said afterwards, she said this really, truly is a team gold, and then she explained that story. So, mm. yeah, just amazing. And the men's marathon, I know you and Robert would have loved that because an Aussie had a massive crack, and, you know, that's what we want to see in some of these races is lay your cards on the table. Uh, what were your thoughts? Well, same thing as as Jess. I was blown away. I'm like, Liam, what are you doing? Get behind the the other guys. You know, <laughs> let them do some work. You're you're just taking the pain here. And uh, you know, this this guy, this is another guy that's been around. I I had a quick look just to check when it was, but I remember when he won the City to Surf. That was back in 2011. I actually watched the YouTube, and he stuck it to um, Michael Shelley, who was our number one distance runner at the time. Same time, they came in down Campbell parade, turned the corner together, and Liam went, see you later, buddy, I want this one, and just took off and got the win by a couple of seconds. And so he's no stranger <laughs> to being overtaken for um, for a medal or, or being the overtaker. It's it's great competition, you know, and, and, and he, oh, there was a great picture of him just, you know, absolutely spent hanging on to a, a drink bottle sitting in a daze after the race, and he gave it everything. But, you know, they're probably – in hindsight, he, he didn't care. He he likes to race like that way. But he did admit that he wasn't ready for the hills at the end where I'd say Jess was. Yeah, yeah. Liam Adams, uh, 213.23. So 228 behind the winner. Also for the Aussies, Andrew Buchanan in seventh place, 215.40. So that's a fantastic run as well by another Aussie in the field. Uh, the winner, though... From Uganda, I think we've unearthed another great marathon runner. So Victor Kiplagat, 210.55. Who went the wrong way and then still managed to get the the time. Yeah, that (laughs) that looked like it could have been disastrous. Guru, over to you. Yeah, look, just back to Liam, I think what he he did in the lead up to the Games, I think just epitomises what marathon running is all about. He's still working a full-time job as an electrician. He said he'd have to work (laughs) nine to five working 40 hours a week and then go for a run after work. And this is the guy who's, who's running, you know, special times in the marathon. So, 
Look, full credit to him. I think that's why we love marathon running so much. I'm not sure there's another sport out there that goes for two hours that just encaptures everyone's imagination as much as what marathon running does. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And 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 some people might find it a little bit repetitive or boring, but generally, uh, you know, if you if you can watch what's happening and and see it unfold, it's it's really quite fascinating on the uh, capacity of the different athletes and what's going to affect them. And I mean, t- talking about that, so in the um, para section of the marathon, how was the guy with the flat tire? I mean, you, you've got that introducing the wheelchair and now you've got another thing, you know. It's not just your legs or your shoes or your arms. I mean, now it's the the tyre going flat. I've never seen that in another Games. And, boy, does your heart not go out for that guy. Yeah, and just going back to Eloise Wellings momentarily, so no one would know more than you how difficult it is to transition from the track to marathon running. So is she an Olympic finalist over 10K? and then steps up to the marathon. What's that transition like? Well, yeah, it's an interesting that you're, you're asking that for Eloise particularly. My first race was in a 4K cross country. So, you know, she she's a very um, rounded athlete from having uh, on-road, off-road, on-track, off-track experiences. It's uh, potentially more the distance. And obviously a track is very flat and you've got that constant coming around uh, reinforcement. You know, you're two seconds out of a pace or one or you're in front or you're behind and obviously on the road it's so undulating that you your likelihood of actually maintaining a specific pace is is unrealistic because you're going to have hills you're going to have downhills uphills flat sections so you know to to sort of that that's really where the the transition becomes and you have to uh, get your head around how that's going to happen look ahead to you know researching the course and uh, being ready for it so that you can maintain your best pace through the, uh, you know, through the different terrains. Hey, by the way, I just quickly Googled uh, about the flat tyre, the wheelchair marathon, and the Queen has been urged to knight David Weir after his misfortune in the wheelchair marathon. Uh, did he end up finishing seventh? Like, he was comfortably ahead, is that correct? Yeah, I, I'm not sure where he finished, but I know he he, he pulled over to, for a little section there. They, they zoomed in on him. I don't know whether he was just contemplating what to do or he knew the other guy was coming and wanted to get out of his way, but it was um, – yeah, it was it was amazing to just look at him, and he just went, "I'm just going to ride this thing in on the flat tire." And power to him, you know what a what a legend. Yeah, I'm not sure about a knighthood, but still, <laughs> <laughs> it enabled uh, his teammate John Boy Smith to go past and secure victory. Hey, Margaret, we had uh, we had race night at Mingara Track this week. Tell us more. Abs- yeah, absolutely. We uh, we really enjoy uh, the Tuesday nights there and uh, the competition for for all the locals. Uh, generally, get you know we get a good crowd, fifty or seventy. We've been uh, offering a three k um, lately, a five k, uh, as well as the three uh, k. So that's sort of uh, grabbing a little bit of attention from some of the uh, the distance runners. But we also uh, we have some fantastic sprinters down there, and it and it gives a great opportunity for 
um, people to just get out and race their mates or race their kids or, or their coaches. And uh, it, it's, um, you know, it's a little bit casual, but it's also it, it's serious. People can, um, you know, they can look to achieving times. And um, I had a note from Ryan Roberts today who was trying to help Murray Schubert it to a PB in the 3K. And so Ryan said, well, he, he actually ran 5.16K because he was in lane two trying to help <laughs> and cheer Murray on. And, 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 you know, they're little stories like that. And you'll see, um, you know, Paul Singleton's uh, son Ryan will get out there and, and go along alongside somebody in the in the 100 or the 60 and they'll be half a step behind just cheering them on trying to help get them through so yeah we really enjoy the night down there and uh you know look forward to it every month hey what a murray run and can i just also ask do you guys realize what you've got on your hands you've got a guy there who was seriously top shelf in local AFL. In fact, he won the he won the best and fairest in the competition. Murray Schubert. Yeah, look, uh, Muzzy he's well regarded in uh, in Kalani Vale Football Club and uh, and still involved now. But uh, look, it was a, in his day, he was a fantastic player and, and great to see him now back involved in running because I I know he's really passionate about his running and to see what he's achieving now is full credit to himself. Well, it was funny last week. I said to him, "Murray, you can't keep going and doing PBs all the time." And he goes, "Why not?" Yeah. <laughs> And and that absolutely, um, you know, where he's coming from, he's definitely got some time to go. He broke to 11 minutes. He got uh, a 10.51, which is uh, that, you know, that's really starting to to move and uh, not too many in front of him. I think there was only about half a dozen, most of them half his age at least. But uh, he, um, he he's just a joy to be around. He loves what he does and he, and he works hard at it, you know. Yeah, uh, might be a good time to bring in that quote from Rowan Browning, uh, Guru, from uh, earlier in the week uh, when he ran 10-10 in the 100 in the heats. Yeah, look, love this, this quote from Rowan. He got it from a, a golfer, Tony Finau, last week, and he said, winners are losers who never stop trying. So I reckon that's a fantastic quote and uh, and one that he's he taken on board and I think a lot of people can. Hey, Margaret, we're just looking at the uh, time here. We're getting the wind-up from our producer, so we might have to leave it there, but I tell you, it has been awesome. In fact, I'm rising here in the man cave on this Saturday uh, and just saying thank you from the bottom of our hearts for coming on and sharing your love of track and field. Oh, look, thank you to the uh, Commonwealth Games participants. And next uh, time, and maybe have a look out for World Juniors that's also on at this, at this point because there is some stunning efforts going on there. But we won't have time to talk today except to wish them all the best for the rest of their competition. Uh, one of those is Katie Gunn, who's in the long jump event. That's in Cali in Colombia, which was uh, featured in Narcos, the uh, TV series. But best wishes to Katie. You wouldn't find a nicer young lady, Margaret. So uh, thanks again for joining us. We'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great weekend. Margaret Beardsley, the First Lady of Track and Field. We're off to another break. We do this all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and also McDonald Jones Homes. It's Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil Projects. Robson means subdivisions, retirement villages, road, rail and bridges. That's local infrastructure for 60 years. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN, and it's all thanks to Robson Civil Projects, a third-generation family business. We love them. And also McDonald Jones Homes. And on the McDonald Jones Homes open line right now, well, I'm standing. It's a standing ovation for the great Troy Luff. Uh, good morning, Luffy. Thanks for joining us. 
Good morning, guys. I actually thought you'd lost my number. I haven't heard from you for a while, or, or maybe the budget didn't uh, didn't have the money in it anymore. You know we want you on every single week, but we can't abuse that friendship. And Luffy, you were just saying off the air, you're not happy. In fact, you are fired up. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a Victorian, and we've had obviously a bit of rain in Sydney, and they keep cancelling games of football. Uh, it's just it's just ridiculous. We've had I think in my grade we've had four or five games this year just cancelled, and they they just cancel blanket cancel the whole round. They go no nah, all lower grades no nah, you're not playing this week. It's it's just even reserve grade of the Premier League they've cancelled them as well. It's just. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Us, us Victorians, you know, Queenslanders, Western Australians, South, never heard of it. Well, when's the last time you lived in Victoria? Uh, it's been a while. It's been about uh, <laughs> 35 years, but, you know, it's, been, it's it's funny, though. My son plays for Burley on the Gold Coast, and they had a game cancelled uh, a couple of weeks ago, and even though it's unheard of up there, and the only reason was the ground was actually six inches underwater, and they actually couldn't play, and that's the only reason it got cancelled. Hey, let's get cracking uh, with uh, the weekend's footy, and Guru, I know you probably want to take a look at GWS versus Essendon. Uh, and, of course, you're a Tigers man, so uh, you're heading over to Adelaide, aren't you? Yeah, heading across to Adelaide this weekend to watch uh, Richmond take on Port Adelaide. But before then, though, we've got GWS Giants taking on Essendon. And Luffy, Mark McVeigh, stand, uh, interim coach, certainly had a few things to say about the named players who, who he thought had checked out from the game last week. What do you think well, about yeah. that? And, s- and secondly, what sort of response do you expect today from those players when they take on Essendon? Yeah, look, it's actually a really tough game to predict because both sides can't make the finals. Essendon's actually on a bit of a roll. Um, they've been they've been playing really good football, and GWS Giants, on the other hand, have been playing very average football. And to lose by seventy two points last week against the Swans, I I worked at that game, and they did. They just switched off, you know, at three quarter time, and just let the Swans run all over them. And and they they probably got themselves up for the game. The old rival between the two Sydney teams. They kicked the first couple of goals. They were in front for ten minutes, and then. They that was about it. And, you know, there was a lot of players on the GWS camp that just didn't do much at all for the whole game, not just at the end of the game, the whole game. There's some play. I mean, Jesse Hogan, like he hardly had a touch in the second and third quarter. And Josh, Josh Kelly was probably one of their standout players. He did very well. And so did Sam Taylor. He was fantastic in the back line, but it was really hard to find uh, many other good players. I tell you, a critical game this weekend. The Cats up against St Kilda, and St Kilda they're hanging in at the bottom of the eight. Your Tigers have got a chance, uh, Guru, and also the Western Bulldogs could also force their way in. How do you see that one, Luffy? Yeah, well, I mean, Geelong. I think I'm not sure how many they've won in a row now, but uh, it's get, it's getting up there. Um, actually, we've got the dogs in the background, and they're talking about the cats. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, like Geelong last week, they, they were they were tested by the dog, the Bulldogs, and they responded big time and ended up smashing the Bulldogs. Like halfway through the second quarter, ever, you know, I actually thought, geez, the dogs have got this, and they needed to win. And then Geelong, they just turned it on, and they they just finished them off, you know, too easily. And and for St Kilda. Well, they've got a tough run home. They've, they've got Geelong this week, and, and I actually looked at the scheduling that they've now put the round 23 up, and the Swans play St Kilda for the very last game of round 23. So I think the AFL have looked at that and gone, you know what, if the Swans you know, win this, they're top four. If, if St Kilda win, they could make the final. So that's going to be a big game. Um, so, look I, look, I just think Geelong's form is just too good at the moment. I know St Kilda are going to be desperate, but I just think Geelong. The other one that's massive is Carlton and Brisbane. What, what a game that is. Is that um, That's tomorrow afternoon. 
Yeah, look, Carlton have lost about three players um, for this week's game, and their form hasn't been very good after getting belted by Adelaide last week. And like, I, Carlton, who were a top four side, I think they were third about three weeks ago, and now they're they're in the bottom part of the eight. And look, I, I don't think they'll miss the eight, but they're going to finish seventh or eighth, and that's going to you know that's another tough game for them, especially when they're you know losing a few players. So I think there's there's really some big games this weekend that are really going to shape the eight, and that's another one of them. So you mentioned there about how tight the eight's going to be, Luffy. No doubt, being the expert that you are, you would have done the ladder predictor. Who do you think's gonna gonna miss out on the eight? Not who's going to make it. Who do you think will miss out on the top eight? Well, I think the Tigers this week. Um, uh, who'd you say the Tigers have got this week? Port Adelaide in Adelaide. Port Port Adelaide in Adelaide, and I I actually think that the Port Adelaide who they've been up and down themselves started so well last week and then fell away. I think. They, I don't think they can really make the eight unless they win all three and the games go against them. Um, but the Tigers, like they, they, they just won last week after they should have lost. Uh, the week, the week before, they were lucky to get a draw. Uh, their form hasn't been great. It is in Adelaide, and I think you know Port Adelaide supporters will be there, knowing that they haven't got many home games left. So, hey, Luffy, I know you're on a tight time frame this afternoon, so I've got one more question. Can I just ask you about some of the young guns from Sydney? And the job that John Longmire has done in 2022. So, you know, we all we always talk about the culture at Sydney, and it's probably one of the best in Australian sport. And the way they renew their list, and at the moment, there must be some kids that you absolutely love watching the Swans each week. Players like Errol Goulden, you know, he's from the the Bulldogs, the same team that I'm at, and I remember him as a kid. Every quarter break, every every minute before the game, he'd be there having shots for goal. Because I used to play with his brother Adam. Um, you know, Braden Campbell can't even get a game at the moment, and and he's such a good player. That is, that's because other players like Chad Warner, he's he's blown everyone out of the water this year. He's been fantastic. Um, you know, Isaac Heaney, he's probably been a little bit inconsistent, but he's been doing enough to you know still be one of the top players. Um, you know, Ollie Florent has been fantastic again. He's improved. Oh, it's just oh, Paddy McCartan, like not young, but, you know, not old either. Like he's been sensational in the backline between him. Tommy McCart and and, um, and McInerney, they've been really good at holding the back line together. So it's pretty tough. You've got Josh Kennedy can't get a game. You've got Cunningham. You've got Braden Campbell, Logan McDonald. All these players sitting in the reserves can't get a game. Yeah, and they've won four of their last five. They take on North Melbourne, the Kangaroos, tomorrow at 110. Guru? Yeah, also, I think the former Tom Papley at the moment, like, I know he's been All-Australian before, but just the way he is is now, he's just really elevated himself to be one of the elite small forwards in the competition. He has. And when he first came back from injury, he really did struggle the first few weeks. Um, Just couldn't get into it. He was getting five, six, seven touches, barely kicked a goal. But all of a sudden, now that he's got his fitness back, he's playing on the ball, he's playing up forward. And he's been successful in both the midfield and as a forward. So, you know, he has been great. It takes a lot of pressure off Buddy Franklin. Yeah, the Swans don't need him to kick five goals to win a game. And that's been proven the last few weeks where he's only kicked a couple of goals. You know, a lot of, a lot of focus goes on him. A lot of players look to him. And, of course, the, the opposition, they want to man him up and defend him. But they don't need to because they've got – Papley, they've got Isaac Heaney, they've got Chad Warner, they've just got, you know, so even, you know, players like Armady come in and play a couple of games, McLean come in, they do their job, and now, you know, it's hard for them to maintain their spot. So, you know, across the board, the Swans have got a great 22 at the moment. It's very hard to break into. Luffy, uh, you've done a superb job on your triumphant return to the show. Uh, Thank you, mate. Enjoy the weekend, and thanks again for joining us. 
No worries, guys. Uh, just remember, you know, put my number on speed dial for the next few weeks. Too. <laughs> Troy Love joining us. Uh, one of my heroes. Love watching Luffy play. And, uh, geez, uh, you know, he's one of the world's best commentators as well. Yeah, look, I, I know Luffy from the, my times of working down at AFL Sydney. <laughs> and, uh, mate, he's, he's been fantastic for for the length of time he's been playing the sport. Like He's left the AFL and still continues to go back in community football now and he's coaches his daughter's side. And, uh, look, he's, he's, a, he's a true warrior of, of the AFL and a great man to, to boot. Yeah, off to another break. Uh, the show, all thanks to Robson Civil Projects and McDonald Jones Homes. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil Projects. Robson means subdivisions, retirement villages, road, rail and bridges. That's local infrastructure for 60 years. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Saturdays on the Coast on SEN, our final break, and we do it thanks to Robson Civil Projects and also McDonald Jones Homes. And it doesn't get much bigger than our final guest of the morning, and I mean uh, literally and physically, uh, Ian Moose Rebilliard OAM, basketball legend. Good morning, mate. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, g'day, Steve. G'day, Gary. Great to be with you and looking forward to... uh a big Saturday Saturday sport. Yeah. Now, this week I received a text from the Guru, and it was about Bill Russell. So I'm sure you'd like to pick up the story, Guru. Yeah, Bill Russell, a legend of the NBA, passed away this week at, at the age of 88. Uh, a big Boston Celtic player. Uh, 11 titles he won playing in the 1960s. And uh, I think it was probably in relation to basketball, while he was, he was a really good uh, you know, a champion basketball player, averaged 15 points and 22 rebounds a game. But I think it's what he, what else he did off the court. He was such a powerful voice for social justice in a in an era where um, African American uh, sports people and people in general certainly had, uh, had 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 difficulties in transitioning into the into the community there. And uh, he was so powerful, and he actually achieved a lot through his through his performance on the basketball court. And and Moose, I know you're a Boston Celtics fan. Yeah, what can you tell us a bit about Bill? Yeah, well, Gary, you've probably summed up his playing record. He is possibly unmatched. I mean, he's just a trailblazer in the sport back in the 60s, early 70s with the Celtics, put them on, you know, a stage that probably, oh, it'll be nice to see if it could ever be matched again. Um, but Bill Russell was a voice for social justice in a time when it, was very, very new to America. Um, and I think even watching the commentary this week, the accolades around Bill Russell and what he did outside of basketball probably says a real lot, for, you know, a measure of the man. And, and Moose, did you say you wore your Celtics singlet this week uh, in memory? Yeah, yeah, I did. So um, by chance, you know, I'd I'd heard of the passing of Bill Russell and I thought, oh, I know exactly what I can wear. <laughs> so for two days, I it, it, it's a it's a uh, basketball. It's called a shooter's top. It's a warm up top. <laughs> so I had that on. It's got the Celtics uh, logo blazoned all over it. And I thought, well, in in memory of a guy that's done so much for a sport I love, um, yeah, just a small token of uh, I guess appreciation of the contribution he made, and, and not just on the basketball court, but. You know, as I said earlier, the issues around social justice, he, he was a voice for change. Ian, uh, the guru wants to talk about a player at the Crusaders who has just literally shot the lights out last weekend. Yeah, Moose, a big game last weekend against the, the Bankstown Bruins, which you got over the line in overtime. But one one particular performance certainly stood out. What can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, well, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> Bill Russell proportion statistics for Cal Jenkins. Um, look, what a great, great game. I think he ended up with 42 points, 18 rebounds from memory. Um, player, player of the week, probably player of the month in the NBL one finals. But Cal's just a very understated player. He's been in the club many, many years. You'll love this, uh, Gary's nickname is the saviour. <laughs> when uh, when the club won their very first flag or pennant or trophy uh, a couple of years ago now, it was Cal who tipped the ball in literally on the buzzer to secure a win over over Manly. So the boys rightly <laughs> nicknamed him the saviour. He does look a little bit like the, <laughs> the namesake, but uh, I tell you, on the weekend, he saved us big time in in, uh, in Bankstown. Without that contribution, we, we wouldn't have come anywhere close to getting the win. So great player, highly, highly uh, respected in our club and just a, a great guy to coach. Ian, we've spoken a lot about the Commonwealth Games this morning. Have you watched any of the uh, the three-on-three? I've seen a little bit, uh, Steve. I know all those players, um, certainly on the men's side. Um, I was interested how they actually choose that team because some of them um, have been retired for a little while. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure how you get selected in this team. I was thinking, crikey, there's a chance still. <laughs> what are they, that old? <laughs> well, Greg High, I'll just name Greg, great player when he played, uh, was with the Perth Wild, Wildcats with Jesse Wagstaff. Um you know, hasn't played for probably four or five years. And truth be known, um, I think they got the silver. So, you know, I, I don't know. Good on them. <laughs> and just finally, I know you're heavily involved. You're on the board at Mingara. And I believe early next month. So it's around about three weeks away. But yeah, Clubs clubs New South Wales, you're handing over a bus. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. You've got good intel, Steve. <laughs> Look, the clubs, uh, the, the member clubs of Clubs New South Wales on the coast have raised just on $80,000 to purchase a bus to hand over to the uh, regional youth uh, support services. And they're doing that uh, in a couple of weeks at their AGM. And it's just such a, a, a significant, worthy cause, community cause that really do great things on, on the Central Coast. So, Take my hat off to clubs. Uh, the work they do in the community is probably unmatched. Thank you again, mate. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. Ian Moose-Rebilliard, OAM, our final guest of the morning. Guru, that is a wrap for Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to actually be here. And, uh, yeah, Butes certainly does a fantastic job, and I'm happy just to fill in for him. Yeah, if you had to name one moment, what's been your highlight of the week? I like the cycling. Um uh, Matt Glazier, who actually won gold in the 1,000-metre time trial. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but did it after having to change the handlebars. They reckon slows you down about a second after he lost the bronze medal taken off him in the, in the men's sprint and then had a crash in the Kieran. Big week for And Matt. fastest time of anyone with those handlebars, is that correct? Yep, first time to get under a minute. Thanks to all of our guests this morning. Don't forget we've got the Catch Up podcast. You can download that a little bit later on today. Thanks again, Guru. Uh, thanks very much, Steve. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Saturdays on the coast. We'll see you next week on SEN.